0: chapter 10 of anglo-american memories by george washburn smalley this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter 10 wendell phillips and the boston mobs phillips' speech had been all through one to stir deep resentment the atmosphere of the music hall was seething with fierce passion and it seemed likely enough there would be a rush for the platform when he had finished if it had come it would have been met the little band of armed men who concerned themselves about his safety never left his side. But there was no rush. The plans of the enemy were of a different kind. The audience passed quietly out of the hall. A police officer came to tell us that there would be trouble outside. A mob, of course a broadcloth mob, had assembled. What the mob intended, only the leaders of it, knew, but he assured us that the police were strong enough to deal with it but he said mr Phillips' friend should go with him when he left the hall and keep with him there were i think not more than half a dozen of us who were armed le barnes hinton redpath charles Pollen, and one or two others we told phillips what he was likely to meet and that we should walk next to him When we got to the outer door, we found the police disputing with the mob the narrow passage, perhaps fifty yards long, from the hall to Winter Street. It was slow work thrusting these disturbers out, because Winter Street was crowded with the main body of rioters, and there was no room for more. But the police knew their business, and meant to do it, and did it inside the passage there was not space enough for an effective attack even had not the police been too strong but it took us i judge some fifteen minutes to make our way from the hall door to the street during this space of time the mob in winter street roared at us they seemed to think we were afraid to go on and they flung at phillips such insults as hatred and anger supplied them with coward traitor and so on with threats besides phillips met it all with a smiling face his hand was on my arm so that if there had been any nervousness i should have been aware of it but the pressure of the hand was firm and steady he was as cool to use mr rufus Schoat's similitude as a couple of summer mornings the police who had been a rearguard satisfied they were not needed there had gone to the front at first the mob gave little heed to the police they respected the police as in tremont temple december third to be on their side but this time an officer had command who knew only his duty as policeman no politics but to keep the peace and protect peaceful citizens the officer was deputy chief ham i have since seen a great deal of police work in many parts of the world in new york london paris berlin and elsewhere nowhere any better handling of a dangerous mob than this by deputy chief ham his force was none too large but his mastery over the mob was never in doubt in their hand-to-hand struggles in the little passageway the police showed what they were made of of phillips's friends the number had increased as we passed from the platform but if we had been alone we should have been swallowed up or we should have been driven almost at once to use our revolvers but the police were an impregnable wall once out in winter street they formed in a solid square phillips and his friends in the centre the square was never broken the mob were many thousands strong there were wild rushes there was the tremendous pressure of great masses of men but against it all the police held good down winter street to washington street along washington street to essex street and in essex street to the door of philip's house the mob kept us company oozing and surging slowly on reviling and cursing all the way they thought they would have a chance at the house but the deputy chief had taken possession there in advance, and when the door opened we passed comfortably in between the police lines. It had taken us an hour or more from the hall to the house. The distance is a short half-mile. It had been a murderous mob. Philip's life was aimed at and had been in imminent danger during that hour. The spirit of murder was abroad. The police warned us They thought the peril over for the moment, but nonetheless remained on duty near the house. Men were stopped and asked to state their business. When I returned in the afternoon, an officer came up to me, but recognized me, nodded, and I went in. I found Phillips as cool as usual, the usual sunshine in his blue eyes. I told him what I had heard from the police, and that I thought his house ought to be garrisoned for the night. But who will undertake that? "'Your friends know there is danger and will gladly come.' He seemed a little sceptical and asked, "'Will you come?' "'Certainly,' I explained to him our plans. He went into the back parlour and brought out an ugly-looking pike. "'It was John Brown's,' he said. No weapon could be more unfit for use in a narrow hall or on winding stairs.' it might have a moral effect it was agreed that three of us whose names are above should camp out that night in the parlor when we arrived about ten o'clock we found the table laid with food and drink for a much larger army the night passed without alarm as did following nights but neither our vigilance nor that of the police relaxed During these days, and long after, Phillips walked the streets of Boston with his hand on his revolver. I was sometimes with him. I said one day, I am more afraid now they will try insult than injury. Don't trouble about that. I can see over my shoulder, and before a man can touch me, I will shoot. He was a quick and good shot, as I found out next summer, when I used to stay with him in Milton, and we practiced at a target but the memorable twenty-first of january drew on when the annual meeting of the massachusetts anti-slavery society was to be held in tremont temple rumors again filled the air and something more than rumors i have already said i had friends in the other camp one of them came to me to beg me to let it alone i care nothing about phillips he said but you are my friend and i must tell you what i know though i am betraying my own party then don't tell it but he insisted his story came to this that knowing we had organized in december for defense they had organized for attack a group of men outnumbering ours would go to the temple on the twenty first well led and well armed under the new mayor whiteman a more subservient tool of the mob than his predecessor lincoln the police would no longer be allowed to protect the abolitionists this hostile band would wait on events a little but if phillips and his friends were in the same mood as at the music-hall they would be driven out of the temple what do you mean by driven out he answered gravely it would be truer to say carried out we are determined to put down this mad agitation they will not leave the temple alive my friend spoke in perfect good faith but it is needless to say i did not believe him and i told him so your friends talk but they will not act they well know that if they murder phillips they will be hanged for it but will you not advise phillips to stay away or at least to be moderate no i will not if i did it would be useless but if you tell him what i say he would disbelieve it as i do our talk ended i thanked him but said his friends would find us ready that i should of course consider what he had said confidential but it would not alter our purpose he wished me to tell phillips mentioning no names and i might tell any of our party who could be trusted evidently he hoped they would be more impressed than i was i did tell phillips who said you seem to have queer friends i said something also to the two men who were to be stationed at the ends of the platform where the steps were leading to the platform from the body of the hall the two most dangerous points the only change they made in their plans was to double the number of these outposts from morning when the convention assembled till the noon recess and then all through the afternoon the temple was a scene of confusion disorder uproar rioting even but of no violence the deep gallery opposite the platform was thronged by the rioters the formal business of organization once over they broke in upon every speech nobody was heard phillips with all his tact in dealing with such gangs could do little now and then a sentence rang clear a message had gone from the temple to the state house where governor andrews sat waiting and watching the course of events an answer had come back by word of mouth and had been misunderstood as oral messages commonly are in a lull philip's voice was heard in a direct appeal to the gallery mob we have a message from the governor the state militia is on its way to the temple and will sweep that rabble where it belongs into the calaboose the rabble thought it over for a while in silence but began again when the adjournment came phillips said to me i'm going to governor andrew come we found governor andrew in his room at the golden dome state house of massachusetts he greeted us cordially and listened while phillips stated his case phillips urged that the anti-slavery society had a right to meet a right to transact business a right to the free use of that free speech which was a right attaching to citizenship in massachusetts and a right to be protected when that right was denied primarily he said it was the business of the police to keep order and give protection but the police acting under the orders of mayor whiteman refused to do their plain duty therefore said phillips i come to the governor of the state to safeguard citizens of the state in the exercise of their rights said Governor Andrew, Mr. Phillips, what do you wish me to do? Send a sufficient force of troops to Tremont Temple to put down the rioters and protect law-abiding citizens in the legal exercise of their legal rights. The Governor sat behind a table on which lay a copy of the revised statutes of Massachusetts. He opened it, handed it to us, and said, If you wish me, as Governor, to act, show me the statute which gives me the power.' But Phillips was not to be turned aside. He answered, in tones slightly less cool than before, "'Free speech is a common law right. The power to which I appeal is a common law power inherent in the governor as the chief magistrate of the state.' But Andrew said again, "'Show me the statute. And again, show me the statute.' and from that he was not to be moved seeing that his mind was made up phillips turned away abruptly saying to me come and we departed as we went downstairs phillips said i will never again speak to andrew as long as i live and we went back to the temple knowing at last we had nothing to depend on but ourselves and our revolvers again during the interval my friend came to me he said you will be allowed to hold your meeting this afternoon, though not without interruption. But the attack I have warned you of will be made this evening, and I once more beseech you to stay away. He knew, of course, it was impossible. What took place after that in the councils of the rioters I know not. I have always supposed that my friend, a man well known in Boston, went to the mayor and laid the case before him. I do not know." what is known is that before the hour when the society was to assemble in the evening the mayor closed the temple his decision was not imparted to us phillips and i drove to the temple and only on arriving heard what the mayor had done he was a weak mayor disloyal incompetent but he had perhaps prevented a tragedy i think governor andrew aware of the probable course of events in the south and at washington desired to avoid anything like a conflict in massachusetts he said as much to me afterward that was his excuse End of chapter ten